welcome to the Mind Tales podcast. We are a fast-growing tech mental health organization here to bring you the insights that you need to boost your emotional health and thrive in your daily life. It's our goal to make quality mental health care both accessible and inclusive. That's why part of our mission is to get discussions, conversations, and debates about mental health going. From psychiatrists to educators, entrepreneurs and community members, we bring you the stories and experiences of health advocates from around the world. And that's what we're going to do today. If you like our episode or have any suggestions for future content, please like it, leave a comment, or connect with us on Instagram at MindTalesOfficial. It makes us so happy to hear from the MindTales community. Thank you so much, Dr. Nahida, for being here today. Uh, with us to talk about overcoming the stigma of mental illness. Um, This is an incredibly important topic, and we're so excited to be able to hear your perspective. So Dr. Nahida, you're working here in the UAE um, as a psychiatrist and an adjunct assistant professor at the UAE University. Um, So congratulations on that, and I'm so excited to hear more about it. Could you please tell us a bit more about your journey towards becoming a psychiatrist? I'd be really interested to know how you you got to where you are and why you decided to dedicate your life towards helping others with uh, psychiatric disorders. Thank you, Raisa. It's a real pleasure to be here this morning with you. Um, and. Uh, it's it's a great honor to have this opportunity to uh, spread the word about mental illness and do my share of uh, removing the stigma if uh, if that was this attempt I'm all about so when i started my career i was uh, honestly to be very frank i psychiatry was not on my uh, bucket list it was not even on the top three list of specialties i wanted to go into uh, but as fate would have had it my husband moved to boston which is where i was supposed to follow him uh, to do residency with him mm-hmm. and the only available specialty in the same uh, hospital was psychiatry uh, but over time when i uh, started my training and my journey through you know treating patients and learning mm-hmm. more about psychiatry on retrospect, I think I am, I was created for this. This yeah. is something I feel like it's an innately um, able to do it. Yeah. Um, just like parenting, it's it's something you always fear you may not be good at or you have these stereotypes of it's going to be so difficult or you're not cut off, but once you have your baby, you give your best. But my uh, career in psychiatry has been my fourth child. So I'm yeah. just as uh, nurturing and... Uh, uh, you know, protective of it, uh, because the kind of difference you can make in an individual's life is profound and it's very, very gratifying, um, especially people uh, in, with mental illnesses uh, in, across the globe are the ones who are most stigmatized, most yeah. persecuted, and most, um, uh, you know, even if somebody is sick with cancers or other different chronic illnesses, they are yeah. treated with compassion, they're treated mm-hmm. with uh, dignity and people empathize with them uh, but not yeah. so much so with mentally ill people so it, it's been a real honor for me to be in this journey uh, trying to heal and help people who are really 
suffering a lot, not just yeah. mentally and physically, but also socially. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was uh, my course. And also when I went into the training, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, given our backgrounds, our communities and the, the stigma that's embedded in our society, yeah. we always carry the stereotypes in our head, you know, psychiatric patients may be the, the crazy ones who will hurt you or hurt mm-hmm. themselves. So going into psychiatry, this was what I had a perception of my view of psychiatry was, oh, this is quite dangerous and tricky. Right. Um, but over time, uh, I, I think the, the most remarkable thing of the training is the kind of people I trained with. I mean, uh, they yeah. helped us so much through the process of training to take away those transferences, counter-transferences issues, yes. which we all tend to have. They tried to teach us how to be non-judgmental. But thanks to uh, our train, uh, you know, our, uh, Dr. Barbara Herbert, who was my uh, attending in the CCAP, which is where the addiction, addicts used to be hospitalized at St. E's, it, it was amazing to see how she was so compassionate, how she could empathize with even a, a person who's trying to manipulate you and tell you stories about why she did drugs Um, so that kind of compassion building and that that kind of understanding of a person from a different perspective from a non-judgmental non-biased way trying to understand the person as a as an ill you know as somebody who's ill versus Mm -hmm. as somebody who's manipulative and a bad uh, human being so that that was i think was challenging to begin with Um, which many of my, I'm sure almost all of my psychiatry peers would have this journey through their training. So I am incredibly fortunate to have trained with the kind of people I trained with. Uh, they have changed my mindset for good. And I think that uh, that trickles down into your personal life too, that non-judgmental uh, attitude, which really makes uh, your communications and interpersonal skills much better. Uh, so yeah that was about my journey it was I still feel like I'm learning every day uh, and uh, learning never stops you know it's so in it's quite inspiring to hear you talking about this as well just because as a psychology major and just somebody who's also quite interested in understanding just the nature of compassion in general really I have so much respect for the profession that you're in and the work that you're doing and I also find it so interesting that you kind of entered Um, this field with maybe your own perceptions of what it might be like and then your experiences and training also influence that at the same time so um, and I can only imagine the ways that it must have transformed just like you were saying personal communication and empathy and it's not always easy I know that as well Um, maybe we can talk a bit more about that if you're comfortable with it just the nature of always being in a compassionate kind of position always helping sometimes there's also fatigue that comes with that Thanks. Um, like I said, it's a process of growth. I mean, yeah. we start the training and with a certain perspective as we evolve, so does our mentality evolves. And uh, the, the good thing about training is that they're not only teaching us how to deal with patients, but they're teaching us how to deal with ourselves too. Yeah. So many of them just still recall you through my residency, uh, I would have supervision classes twice a week. And um, the supervision classes were mostly my therapy classes. So it used to be like why I felt a certain way, why why was I thinking a certain way when this patient came in front of me. So those kind of things helps you understand yourself Mm -hmm. better. And so I I think it's just an amazing journey. I've been very, very fortunate and I'm really grateful 
that God has given me this opportunity to learn and grow. Um, also, one of the things, like you mentioned, compassion fatigue, uh, it, it happens invariably in every case, especially you know if you're dealing with somebody, your own age group going through something. Uh, like for me, even today, what's most difficult is to see uh, women in, with terminal illness with small young children like mine. Uh, it's very hard for me because that is, uh, you know, they are facing an inevitable uh, challenge and uh, the way they are coping and the, the losses it, it so it gets to me sometimes uh, so what they teach us in training is to draw boundaries you know making yeah. sure that you're secure within your boundaries to uh, to strengthen your coping skills to keep yourself safe from yeah. these kind of uh, hurtful and depressing uh, you know influences around you um, and making that clear cut boundaries okay these are their problems and these are my problems right. my problems become theirs and theirs don't become mine so right. understanding that and being mindful of that all the time um, I think that's one of the ways I love I've learned to cope uh, I do have some bad days where I, I cannot hold on to those boundaries and let yeah. people you know have that effect on me that I go home really sad yeah. and then uh, the and I'm, I'm really blessed to have a very supportive family. Uh, my husband and my children have been incredibly, you know, uh, supportive of what I do. So when I come home, that, that buffers it off. So uh, this is my advice to everybody when, when the residents and the trainees come to rotate with me or learn from me. Like you have to strengthen yourself. Yeah. You can do your best only when you're feeling your best. If exactly. you're wearing off if you're drowning in your own emotions you cannot be a support to someone else yeah. so um there is a thought that you if you're a psychiatrist you're only just prescribing pills and you're not doing any human connections it, it which is far from reality that yeah. should not be the case your pills can only have so much benefit if you can create a rapport if you can create trust yeah. if you can Born with your patients so every psychiatrist uh, by virtue of the profession itself is a psychologist in the end so yeah, you right. need that, you know um, that experience of therapy and how to connect yeah. and how to um, counsel people right right no thank you for sharing that um, just about your experiences on a day-to-day -day basis as well um, I'm sure that there are others listening to this maybe if they're in the same profession they can also um, understand and relate to what you're saying. Um, um, so as a psychiatrist in the UAE specifically, the mental health landscape is still developing. Um, it's still in progress as well. So from your perspective, what, what are the mental health stigmas that you've seen um, or that you've happened to experience here with your patients in the UAE and how are they perpetuated? So when I started almost about three to four years ago now, uh, I mean, comparing to those days to today, I, I think there's been profound changes happening yeah. at an exponential rate. And uh, I would say COVID had a silver lining to it. People are identifying that emotional distress is a real thing. Yeah. Um, you know, people with completely high functional lifestyle could also go through emotional, uh, you know, turmoil. And it doesn't mean that you are crazy or you're handicapped or you're a, you know, person of disability. So that that concept of if you are seeing a psychiatrist, if you're mentally ill, you're disabled. I think that is dissolving gradually. Right. Now, the stigma still remains in terms of seeking help. So many people, uh, they walk into my clinic and they say, I know I'm depressed and I know I need help, but talk me through it. Talk me out of it. I don't want to try medications. 
Yeah. You know, it, it, the, the dog therapy, as good as it is, it only helps in certain cases. Mm-hmm. Mental illness is like illness like any other illness. Right. You know, like, have borderline diabetes i can give you recommendations for lifestyle changes and you could get better but if you had a form of diabetes which is insulin dependent i cannot give you lifestyle you know modifications to get out of it so similarly mental illnesses are also in spectrum if you are moderate average you know still coping but with some difficulty we can do some therapy we can talk about how do you modify your behavior and how do you change your cognition um, address the distortions in the cognition right. and you get better but when somebody is at the verge of there's nothing in life for me i don't seek pleasure in anything and i'm not getting out of the house for days yeah. at the time that is the time they have a neurochemical imbalance and that's yeah. the time that we put in medications so it's always a challenge for the first timers who've not had family members suffer come into the mm. clinic uh, trying to convince them that medications are okay so my efforts have been over the period spread the word that you know medications not all psych medications are bad some of them are much much safer than your routine NSAIDs and Panadol so uh, we talk a lot a, a great deal about you know how medications could be safe they're not addictive yeah. they're not are addictive and they can be safe to take even in pregnancy and yeah. breastfeeding or young children so um, th- that's been a challenge for most part um, the other thing about stigma is that, you know, uh, when people who have not been around or not seen firsthand anybody who's mentally ill, they have this attitude that, um, you know, in Arabic, they say, that means I'm crazy. So right. um, whenever they say you're a doctor for psychiatry, you're a doctor for crazy people. So it's it's offensive. And then the people who are coming into the clinic take that offense and take that yeah. shame associated with it. And they say, oh, I am a crazy person now, so I'm glad to see you. So yeah. that correlation of crazy equals mentally ill needs to yeah. be dissolved. Um, one of the most beautiful things about UAE is that we have been uh, really good about, you know, catching up to the world health standards. Mm-hmm. To, to, you know, the leadership does a huge, uh, you know, advocacy for, um, you know, uh, be it in awareness or campaigns. Yeah. So in different sectors from the DOH to the public health sector to the ministry. Everybody has put in a tremendous amount of efforts in in advocating for mental health, talking about um, and opening platforms to address mental health and various aspects of mental health, not just about uh, routine, day-to-day emotional distress, but what do you do once you're mentally ill? How do you screen? How do you treat? And what do you do once yeah. you're diagnosed and you're stable? So reintegration, rehabilitation and all that. So um, it's a beautiful time to be in UAE and it's yeah. always beautiful in UAE, yeah. honestly. But uh, I, I think uh, we as a country are doing really well. Um, and uh, I just hope, I mean, that that, that wind that's in, in our favor sets us uh, to sail and sort the skies and do the best we can until we've achieved the vision we have. Even what you were saying about the shift towards viewing psychiatric disorders from a more medical perspective is one that is also going to just help others in uh, seeking help in the first place, or even just the perception of understanding how to heal. And and I think it's also, it, it relates to something that I was thinking about as well, that the stigma doesn't just end once you seek help. 
it, it's also sometimes perpetuated in communities or even afterwards, if you have received perhaps a diagnosis, or you still might encounter stigmas after that. And I think that can be quite daunting for a lot of um, young adults or people who are encountering something like this for the first time. So from that perspective, what, what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to take the first step, knowing that it's definitely a landscape of development and progress and support, but that they still might encounter stigmas once, um, even after they've seen a psychiatrist. Um, so I think it all boils down to what goes on between the provider and the, the patient. So it's just not me and I, it's not just the psychiatrist, uh, but I would encourage all my peers from different faculties of medicine, when they sit down with the patient and recognize that they are in emotional turmoil or they've started a psychiatric treatment, to talk about how this is okay. Like if you were having high lipids, you would be on medications and you would not think twice about it. Right. It's the same. It's a neurochemical imbalance. It's a disorder. It's a physiological change that is happening that's influencing your psychological uh, you know, it is having psychological manifestations. So um, to encourage people to say, you know, first of all, that treatment is okay. It is not um, something to be ashamed about is yeah. a big deal. But after that, beyond that also, I, I think what we lack right now in our country, and I hope we mobilize our, our forces towards it, is social prescribing. So when somebody has, let's say, uh, severe OCD or severe uh, traumatic stress from some childhood trauma or uh, any number of psychiatric illnesses, what are the support groups we have? Yeah. For now, we have none. So to, to invest into creating a circle of people who relate to each other, who can support each other under supervision uh, yeah. and enable each other to get out of what they are you know, from this uh, illness, would, it would be tremendous to have that kind of resource. And also, um, reintegration is very important. To normalize life is very important. I oftentimes tell, tell my patients that when they come in with severe depression in the first, second, third visit, when they start showing some remission signs and they say, I'm getting better now, I'm like, yeah. you're not going to feel better for a long time if you don't move from where you are. It's like... Uh, one of my patients in the U.S. had said, uh, told me this. She was a very eloquent uh, speaker and a writer, and she was suffering severe depression. And she said, uh, Dr. Ahmed, I feel like I'm stuck in jello. I feel like I'm swimming against cement. I feel like I'm nailed down to a place. So these words, they always ring in my head. Like, so you are stuck because of your illness. And your illness can break those bounds you know if you're stuck with you know, if you if you feel you're nailed down those ties can be removed by um, medications but if you don't take the first steps and get out of where you are yeah. you're, not, you're going to be stuck medications will flat you out so i always talk about what are the new changes you're doing go grab something new uh, to do go look for a new friend go do yeah. you know go more uh, it's, it's basically the concept is social prescribing do something that makes you gives you that uh, you know fulfillment or that dopaminergic search that yeah I've done this I've accomplished it. So so the journey and the the course of treatment does not limit to treatment uh, to therapy and medications. A lot of social integration is right. when patients start getting better, and and that gives them a sense of self worth, gives them a self you know sense of dignity and uh, and also feels that you know I'm a normal and I'm a contributing member of the society, uh, which is what is fundamentally important for all of our survival. As long as we are generating and giving back and doing something, we always feel good about ourselves. 
So um, irrespective of what provider you're a cardiologist or a gastroenterologist or psychiatrist, I always uh, would encourage my peers to talk about this, have a social life which is more productive. Um, yeah. and balance that, you know, the stress and the, the, the triggers and then uh, and the fun. So those are the concepts I think which will eventually over time help our patients feel less stigmatized yeah. and uh, normalize that okay, mental illness is uh, an aspect of our health and we can deal with it. Definitely. I think you're highlighting something really important about community and belonging as well, that when we experience these psychiatric disorders, you don't only experience it on an individual level, but it also impacts your social, familial, just your bonds in general. And that can, that can really affect your mental health as well, or taking steps in the right direction might transform the way that you then approach the, the disorder that you're coping with. So that's definitely um, an important point. And from your perspective, how can family members um, play that supportive role or how can a friend play that supportive role from the other side of supporting somebody with a psychiatric disorder? I think again, it comes down to their perspectives to understand that a person who's suffering from mental illness yeah. is just as any other sick person and not to be judgmental, yeah. uh, you know, not to, uh, to box them into the, you know, label them as crazy and be dismissive of them. Uh, it's, it's very important and also to normalize at the same time. Yes, I know you're suffering. I know you need some space, but I'm here for you. Uh, if you need to get out of here, if you need any kind of help. So just being there and being empathic and being supportive, it, it's a huge um, benefit in treatment. Like I can tell you, uh, when I used to practice in the US compared to here, here by the virtue of the families being so close knit, the prognosis is so much better than when I used to see these people living alone, single, uh, you know, without any much of family support, uh, especially so in vulnerable populations like old age, um, you know, elderly when they've lost a lot and yeah. they live by an assisted living compared to here when they're surrounded by their uh, children and their grandchildren hovering over them all the time. Uh, it, it makes a huge difference. So I think uh, human beings require that social connection just as yeah. much as treatment or therapy. And I, I would always encourage um, my uh, patients, families, if they've come in to help them, uh, especially so in addiction. So one yeah. of my principles in addictions uh, treatment is that I don't treat you until you, you get me a family member with you. So if, you, uh, if there is an addict coming in and saying, I need to get better, I'm like, you need a sober support. So bring in your spouse or your mom or your brother or your sister, anybody with you into the clinic every time. So yeah. we can have you, uh, you know, we can create for you that, that support system, uh, which really helps, which goes a long way. And it, it's, uh, it, uh, it keeps the patient on track. Um, and, and the patient also feels like, you know, it's, he's not alone in the struggle. Yeah. Um, so definitely, I think if the family members and the friends play a huge role. In, in the recuperation and recovery. I, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's, it's a good reminder as to how we can also think about our role in supporting others in our lives as well and being a bit more intentional with the way that we do so. And also just taking a step back to ask ourselves what our own beliefs are, what our own uh, myths might be, misconceptions uh, regarding disorders or mental illness in general. So 
So to wrap up, Dr. Nahida, to end our conversation together, this has been so interesting, but I also know that our listeners really want to know more about you. Um, so how do you take care of your mental health? What are the top three essentials for uh, a mental health remedy that works for you? Um, that's an interesting question and thank you for that because over time it has changed for me and I, from time to time, I have to be told that I'm not taking care enough and uh, thank God for my husband, he does a great job at that. Um, so it, to, to be surrounded by people who are looking out for you, uh, not just in terms of family, like it's supposed to uh, give you an example, if I were to go to my boss, my CMO and say, I'm planning to do this news project or I'm thinking of this, the first thing he says is like, are you sure? Are you taken care of? Do you have enough support? We don't want you burn out. So that kind of support, you know, that to be surrounded by people, not just in your family and friends, but also at your work who say, we are watching out for you. We don't want you to burn out. I think I've been incredibly fortunate in those terms. So that has helped me a lot. Uh, but otherwise, one of the things that I've started to pay attention to and do ritually is take care of myself, my health. So exercises and swimming and all that. Right. It's, it's the these days. Um, I definitely make sure I spend enough time with my children. Uh, we all know that, you know, when you spend time with loved ones, you have oxytocin release, which by itself is an anxiolytic, uh, makes you feel calm and makes you feel safe. So uh, I'm a big hugger. I give my children what we call squishy hugs um, <laughs> to make sure we have that exchange of safety and uh, love. So uh, just being surrounded by uh, people you love, you know, and giving back, actually. I mean, when you can, when you have a chance, uh, give back. Altruism is a huge, uh, you know, uh, aspect of healing. It, yeah. it really promotes uh, good spirits. It promotes uh, good health. Uh, there are lots of studies that have been done that altruistic, uh, you know, uh, activities help the person get loved to Definitely. So my top three would be those, you know, surrounded by loved ones, uh, being passionate about your love. Do what you love. Uh, not, don't at all sign up for anything that you're not excited about. I mean, I always give this analogy to my uh, people who come up to me and say, you're doing a lot. And I say, uh, you know, when these, you, you have these adventure photographers or adventure travelers who go yeah. through like really risky jobs and they never say it's tough or it's bad or it's scary they do it because they're passionate about it definitely similarly i mean i don't feel like i'm doing a lot because i love what i'm doing and i can see the results of my efforts so and the fact that you know people are have, having my back is very um, reassuring for me to keep doing so surrounding my support being passionate and giving back is the top three i would recommend to people during the upcoming end of the year season and also just with the pandemic as well. These are really useful tips that I think uh, others can also take on to boost their mental health as well. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Nahida, for sharing all of these tips with us, for giving us your insights, um, for taking the time out of your day to have this conversation. We would love to have you back at some point in the future. And uh, thank you to all our listeners out there as well. And for those who uh, would also want to contact Dr. Nahida at some point. Uh, we will post her email address in the description below. Um, and you can also feel free to follow Mind Tales and the podcast. Um, thank you, Raisa, for this opportunity. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, thank you for this incredible platform that you guys have for uh, advocating for mental health. And, and I'm really delighted to be here and looking forward to the next chance.
Thanks for tuning in to the Mind Tales Collective. If there were any questions that stood out to you, don't let these conversations stop here. Share your thoughts with your family and friends or send over a quick message to us on Instagram to share your thoughts with us. And don't forget to hit the follow button. You can find us at Mindtales Official. We know it's been a tough year. We want to remind you to check in on how you're feeling and ask for help if you need it. Remember, self-care is more than a band-aid. Your mental health is important. Stay tuned for more content next week. Take care and talk to you soon.